announce to anyone listening, and this is for men or women, uh, we're doing a January sobriety challenge and it's free in my Facebook community. Um, and so I can drop the, I can give you the link so that the individuals, if anyone wants to join that, um, it's in the Facebook community. There's going to be about a thousand people in there. And I've got guest facilitators that are coming in to talk about nutrition, to guide us through some yoga, to do some movement meditation, and then also, um, some mindset stuff. And it's going to be really awesome. All the guest facilitators have free prizes and then a free gift. And then there's free prizes as well. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks, JD, for having me. I'm so grateful to be here and chatting with you today. No problem at all. Now, you're out in California? Um, No, I'm not, actually. I did live in California. I lived in San Diego for three years, but now I live in northern Arizona. And I'm currently in my car in Flagstaff. And I have property, a 20-acre ranch property, kind of like in the middle of nowhere up in northern Arizona. So that's where I'm at. So does my dad and brother, actually. They have like a 40-acre property in northeastern Arizona that they've been to like once, like six years ago. They drove out to it together, you know, kind of deal from Jersey, where they're, you know, where we're from originally. Um, I don't think they've been back since, but I'm pretty sure they still have the land in their name. It's so interesting because the area that I'm in, it's all 40-acre parcels. So maybe it's in the same neighborhood. Who knows? But yeah, we 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 bought 20 acres from my husband's mom, so she has 20, and, and we have 20, so. Yeah, yeah. That, w- that would be really funny if it was. I have no idea where it is, but I know it's, like, northeastern, like, in that kind of region area. It's all I really know. I was in addiction when they did it, so I wasn't that interested, you know. I wasn't that interested to join them or go out with them because I'm not making it to Arizona and back without withdrawing. <laughs> so what is your sober date? So my, you know, you asked that earlier before we hopped on here. I was like, I always forget what year it is. I don't know if it's like what I did in my brain through addiction, but my timeline on years is not very good. So I know that I'm almost three years sober, but I did figure out the day. It's January 6, 2019, um, this time around. So I almost have three years and I've been on this journey for a long time. So I've had a lot of sobriety dates, but I do joke around and say that I'll keep this one because it's also my mother's sobriety date and she has 21 years and she's one of my best friends. And so now we have the same sobriety date. So I that get is, to keep this. That is, is that why you stopped on her date? Like, did that have anything to do with it or just pure coincidence where you stopped and then you realized it like a week later kind of deal? There was no plan. And uh, yeah, I did not plan that. I had actually had a year and a half of sobriety and then had a one night uh, go go with all, um, and then I reset my calendar at that point. So uh, I figured it out afterwards when my mom told me that that was her sobriety date too. That's funny that it worked out that way. And it, it does make you want to keep it more when you share it with somebody because, you know, I know that my wife and I, we weren't in active addiction together, um, but when we met, you know, I, I had already started my recovery journey, so I had some time under my belt, but I had slipped with drinking, but I was so ingrained with 12 steps that I wasn't like over drinking or drinking alcoholically because I was doing a daily inventory still. And I was justifying by drinking, by working the steps with it, you know, that kind of deal. And um, and my wife had slowed down a lot when we met. And um, but when I said, hey, like, let's quit. You know, we had the same sober date now, um, which is 229 
So I like having Leap Day because it's a unique day that I don't want to give up because, you know, obviously for a lot of other reasons, but still, like, you, you have a little pride. You find little ways to have pride in your day to have even more of a reason not to want to give it up, like sharing with your mom or sharing it with my wife or having it be a unique day. So I see, I, I find that cool. What was it that caused you to, like, have, like, that one night out? Did you, was it, like, a something going on? Uh, no, well, something was going on in my brain, um, and that was, so my husband got sober with me, and I really needed to get sober, so I did share a sobriety date with him, but then I didn't keep keep that, but um, I had a year and a half of sobriety, we built this beautiful wedding venue, like I was working really hard, and then we had some permitting issues come up with the wedding venue, and basically they closed our business down, and it was really disheartening. Um, and I was working really hard and my brain started to romanticize and think like, maybe I can just go to a music festival like once a year and just let loose a little bit. And so like that was starting to happen in my brain. And then I just one night, I just was like, fuck it. Excuse my language. I'm going to get you can do drunk by myself. And I just ended up getting really drunk by myself because I was like, I've been working hard. My project's not working out. Like I deserve to drink. And I got so sick that night and it was just nothing that I deserved so that next morning when I woke up I was still sick um I was like I don't deserve this like I've been working on my sobriety and my health and wellness and my yoga career and all this like this isn't who I want to be anymore and I'm grateful I really haven't had the desire to drink since that day Granted, I went to my first AA meeting when I was 19 years old, and I'm almost 37, so I've been on the journey for a long time and have periods of sobriety, um, but I've never had three years before, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and it, but it also sounds like your mom might have been three years sober when you went to your first AA meeting. Good math, yeah, and Did it was that interesting. have anything to do with you going to your first AA meeting? Yeah, it, it does. I grew up in a small town in Cross Pl or called Cross Plains in Wisconsin, and there's a heavily drinking population there. I grew up next door to a bowling alley, and like my parents went camping on the weekends and stuff, so there was always drinking around. That's what parents did. Oh, I have actually, you're actually not even the first person from Wisconsin. You might be the fourth person from Wisconsin that's been on my show, and every single one of them likes to remind me of the drinking culture is substantially more in Wisconsin than a lot of other places in the country. It really, it really is. It really is. So um, both of my parents like to drink a lot. And so I started going to Alateen when I was only like 12 or 13 with my mom. So she would go to Alanon. I would go to Alateen. We'd go shopping. We'd go out to dinner. Like it was just like our girls night thing that we did. Um, and it's interesting because at that, like shortly before that, if we were camping, my parents would let me like try a beer and I never liked the taste of it. And I was like, why, why do they drink this? It's disgusting. And I'm actually going to flip to a quick story of when I first drank it is because we went to, in our health class, they had us put on the beer goggles and I don't know if they do that anymore to make you feel what it's like to feel impaired. And I was like, oh, this feels silly. This is why my parents drink. And so that's how I started drinking. But right around that time when I first started drinking, my mom was going to Al-Anon and then she decided to go to AA. So like, then she was like, no, you can't drink. 
but like she had been giving me beers before so it was kind of like mixed messages stuff so right when I started my drinking career really is when my mom got sober um so that was really interesting yeah however I was still in high school so like we would go to Florida on girls vacations and stuff like that and you know we were sober because she was sober and I was still in high school so like I had a lot of fun times with my mom on her sobriety journey um, but I wasn't ready to get sober even at 19. So I, yeah, I was familiar with the program. My mom was going, things were out of hand. I always had a good work ethic up until I started actually incorporating drugs into my party lifestyle. Um, Who would have thought? So I think at one point I like didn't show up for work. I probably got fired from my job and I was like, all right, I surrender. I have a problem. I can't control this and went to my first AA meeting at 19. And then, but then you were like, okay, but I'm not like these people. Well, yeah. And I wasn't ready to give up my party lifestyle. I'm like, what am I going to do for fun if I'm not drinking or comparing myself? You know, there's not a ton of 19 year olds that walk into the rooms unless you're at a young people's meeting. And I just wasn't ready. You know what I mean? Like our brain tricks us that we're fine or, you know, I'm not even 21 yet or whatever. So um, yeah, I definitely wasn't ready. I, you know, and you have to, this is a willingness part of it you know what I mean like I wasn't willing I I knew that I had some problems I knew that I wasn't drinking normally I definitely knew I wasn't using drugs normally you know but it was a matter of being willing and I didn't want to waste my time knowing that I was going to go into it not willing you know and I and who knows I might have heard something that I could have stuck with me but I wasn't even opening my ears when I did go when I would entertain the idea, I wasn't even giving anybody a chance to resonate with me because I wasn't even listening to him. It was a matter of just, all right, let's clock watch for 60 minutes, 59 minutes and just get the hell out of there, you know, while while I can. So I get that, you know, it wasn't until I wanted to be in the rooms did I start paying attention and looking for ways to resonate with people up there that when they were talking, you know, so I, I totally get that. 19, I wasn't even ready at 30, you know, I got ready. <laughs> You know, so and but I noticed you did say yoga. Um, I did in your page. Is that do you incorporate yoga into your sobriety? Yeah, so yoga has been a huge part of my sobriety. I am a yoga teacher. I've been teaching yoga for about eight years and um, practicing yoga for 10. So I guess that would bring me to around the age of 26. My friend was like, do you want to try a yoga class? And I went and I loved it. It was um so part of my upbringing as I was in dance classes and then I was on dance team and all of that, I love moving my, bo- my body and, um, you know, just being active and, and enjoying the music, you know, the movement with the music. And then when I started partying and going to live music, that was like another way for me to have that outlet. So as I was trying to get sober, I missed that part of the music. And so when I went to yoga, and not all yoga classes have music. There's tons of different types of yoga classes out there. But the ones that I was going to, um, they made music like a really big part of their studio. And yeah. so I was with people. There was community. Nobody was drinking. Granted, they might not all be sober. Um, but I was breathing and moving and connecting with my body. And um, then I decided I wanted to become a yoga teacher because I loved it so much. And I was pretty good at it. And I enjoyed it. And that was a pivotal part of my sobriety journey because I started to have a vision for the future. I started to have purpose and passion and I was doing something that felt good. Um, So yoga has been a huge part of my journey and I do incorporate it with a lot of my 
um, coaching. So I'm a spiritual yoga teacher and a sobriety coach. And so I do encourage my my clients and anyone in our community to practice a little bit of yoga and get out in nature and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. You know, I and I've had, you know, somebody on here and, you know, um, they run a group out in L.A. Um, I, I met them when I was living out there. That's where I got sober. And but they do a group, you know, it's Namaste Sober, you know, where it incorporates like it's like a meeting, but it's also a yoga class. And it's, you know, it's a way to like have AA, but also have a connection with your mind and your body at the same time. And, you know, it's not it's something I haven't done. Um, but I, I I like that it's there for those for people that like having that kind of connection, you know, that whatever way is going to help you stay sober and help you not get high or get drunk today. I think it's important because it's about finding other things that we do with our lives daily and finding new habits and finding new rhythms and things that are healthy for us. Because before they were daily things we did, but they just weren't healthy for us. What what drugs did you get into? So when I was 18, 19, when I first started dabbling, it was mainly cocaine and ecstasy, a, a lot of cocaine and a lot of ecstasy, like almost every night of the week. Um, my house was always the after party house. So we'd go to, well, I worked in the restaurant, um, so was a server, and then we would go to the bars, and then we would have an after party, and it was always at our house. Um, so mainly those, but then within that, I also did dabble with mushrooms and acid. Um, I never really got into marijuana. My friends would always kind of joke with me that I could handle all the drugs, but I couldn't smoke marijuana because it made me really paranoid. But um, so those are my drugs of choice until I moved to San Diego, where I got into a few other things, which gratefully, I didn't find them earlier on in my age, like my using because it would have probably been really bad. But towards the end of my using, I did get into meth. Um, I was doing like GHB um, and a, a couple other things. I never really got into the, the downers. I did do heroin once. I snorted it. Um, but I would pretty much do anything. Yeah. Cocaine, cocaine and ecstasy were my main. And they were always done with alcohol. Alcohol was always the constant throughout all of it. Yep, I definitely have heard that story so many times over and over, you know, and it's a lot of people our age, you know, mid 30s, where when they were getting into drugs, it was 18, 19, early 2000s, where ecstasy was huge, you know, and it, it was so big. I, I think, you know, opiates kind of morphed how big E was 15, 20 years ago, because by the end of the 2000s and the 2010s, you got opiates coming in strong with oxy but before then i think people forget all the time unless you were doing them too how big coke and ecstasy was and how it was just part of the party it it was it was like part of the drinking party phase where it's like oh no this is just part of the party like this is just what you do so you know you know i i know i was in there too you know it's like oh okay yeah just part of the party you just just do it so, you know, being 19, I can totally see why you're not ready. Now, when did you try again after 19, though? How long did it take you before you tried again? So, as I mentioned earlier, my timeline's a little skewed. I should maybe sit down with my mom at some point and see if she can iron this out. Because I know she's journaled through all of this and was trying to not pull her hair out. But um, I would say it was probably somewhere around 22 um me and then maybe again like 24 I don't really know the timeline but I did get into an outpatient facility in Madison Wisconsin called Connections 
and it was life-changing because what they did there is they encouraged you to do sober activities outside of the meetings. And so that looks like going hiking or going bowling or, you know, things that you think are dorky, they feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it did get me to connect with other people. Um, And I made some really good friends there. And so that's when I started to feel the joy of sobriety. You know, I was actually having fun, but yet I still had all my friends that were still going to concerts and doing this. And I had major FOMO, fear of missing out. And I just couldn't think of like, what's my life going to look like if I never go to a concert again? You know, you just reminded me too. I didn't even put two and two together. Um, were you near Madison? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Because I lived in Madison for, um, from 18 to 28. Did, right you, go to, did you go to the university of Wisconsin? Okay. Um, one of the people I've had on the show is an author and, um, his name is Travis Sackett and he actually, you left. Do you know Travis? I went to connections with Travis. Oh my God. I met him so there. Fun. I actually That's interviewed fun. him with his new book in one of my sober communities recently. So and uh, he yeah. was in Arizona. That's why I'm laughing because one of his stories and his books, I have his book and he's, you know, he's been on my show twice now. We became really good friends. Um, uh, he talks about how him and his girlfriend went to Arizona and then had to come back when the news broke that, you know, a $100,000 painting got stolen and he was being blamed for it. You know, but he was in Arizona where you are now. But, you know, Travis from Connections. But yet him and I met each other on Facebook and yet you and I met each other on Instagram. So it is so funny to me that the small recovery world and how it like comes together. And I'm sure if you go to my page, you'll see that I just posted a video of him the other day, you know. I love it. You know, I have his book too, but I run a sober girls book club, so I haven't started reading his yet. But my mom said it's really good. Actually, I think I'm credited in the back. My name is credited in the book. Oh, really? Because I helped, I helped with some of the promotion for the book and stuff. Anyways. Oh my um, God, it that's such a yeah. Him, he was on here. Another guy is an author named Dan, who was on my podcast early, earlier on. I can't think of his last name. He wrote a book about being a millennial um, these and during these times. Uh, I forget the name of it. He's my age, though. And then Ken Anderson, who also is an author, and he wrote the book How to Change Your Drinking about harm reduction. And he has a big Facebook group called Hams, which is all about harm reduction. And, you know, he drinks planned intox one day a week kind of thing, you know, and he's been doing it for over a decade without any kind of need in rehab again. And Hey, if it works for you, I, I, you know, more power to you. I know I've tried it. Doesn't work for me. Works for you. Way to go, man. You know, and a lot of people might need that, you know, where they can feel like they don't want to give up it up completely. Cause so I just, it's so funny to me that, you know, you know, Travis from there of all places. So small recovery world. And now when did you start, you know, posting on Instagram and be covering, you know what I mean? Like, you know, recovering out loud as much as you do. So I would say I started recovering out loud a long time ago. I would say probably 10 years ago, my family, my friends, like it was no secret that I had major issues. And so like when I would get 30 days of sobriety, I was sharing some of my journey way a long time ago. So people have been watching my journey for a long time, especially friends and family that I actually know. Um, and so then I decided I wanted to become a life coach. This is probably about four years ago. Um, but I didn't know it was going to be sobriety and I wasn't sure exactly what it was. So then I started amping it up a little bit more 
because I really felt like I had to write, like I was going to be sober for good, even though I haven't slipped up once since that point. But um, then I got the idea that I wanted to become a sobriety coach. So I started amping it up more. And then I started posting more on Instagram. So I would say for the last three years, I have been posting a lot on Instagram. Um, For the last two and a half, I shifted my name on Instagram from emily.yogini, because I'm a yoga teacher, to happy sober free. And it was kind of a bold move. I was like, I like my name in there, but happy sober free really all encompasses what I'm all about now and what my page is going to be about. And I think it's helped the name itself has helped um, build the account and the following and the community. Yeah, it's like a little brand. Do you have your own coins? I saw you posting your story about like, and the coins that happy, sober and free. And I said, there's no way that's a coincidence. Like, unless she found a bunch of coins and then made her page after the coin. I don't know. But did you make, you have your own coins you give out to your, like your groups? I do. I do. I designed the coins um, with someone on Etsy and then I have someone else on Etsy that makes them and ships them to me. And so for right now, they're just for my clients and stuff because I don't buy bulk. So they're pretty expensive. They're like $12 yeah. Yeah. a coin or something like that. But yeah, I, I send them out to the women in my community and stuff like that. And they've got a little bird flying out of a cage. Yeah. yeah that's such a cool little like touch because like, you know, the coins they can mean a lot to some, but then I, I'd like to give out the personal ones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mine. So that's why this, these are all mine that I give out again. You know, I have oh, a cool. bunch, you know, so like I, I, I have like the packet, you know, where that comes and, you know, cause I run a meeting center when you get the initial like G, you know, services, G, I, such a long day, G group services, whatever that packet, when they send you out the coins to give out like the cheap ones, but I like giving out my own, the ones that I got, like recycling them first. That's kind of like hope chips. Like I have a sponsee and, you know, he has been going through and I'll give him one of my old chips each time and everything like that as a way of like, you know, he knows that there's more of a connection with it. It's not just from the, you know, random ones that everybody else gets. So I, that's what I like doing personally, because I think there's like sometimes a stigma when we count days, you know, yeah. and yeah. you got not not to say you got lucky, but you were fortunate that you, when you had your lapse that you got right back into it again. Mm-hmm. So many people have that lapse and they go, well, I'm at zero. So I might as well go hard before I try to get one again. You know, it's almost like a get out of jail free. Well, now that I'm back at zero again, what else should I do? You know, and next thing you know, it's two months later and you don't know where you're at or what's going on. You know, I know I, I've been guilty of that when I used to try to quit on my own, you know, I would like, oh, I can just just one time. And then next thing you know, it's another year gone by of just the same old being miserable. Um, so what what would you say is like the biggest thing that drives your sobriety today that like keeps you to not wanting to explore that? Maybe I do have one left in me. Like, what is it that keeps you that? wanting to stay sober every day but you know is it the you know the girls that you're looking out for is it meeting you know what I mean is it yoga um it is a recipe of a bunch of different things so um I think a big part is my vision for my future and I love feeling good and so my life story is I was hungover all the time and my hangovers would last for days and I just don't like feeling that way and so 
I've gotten so used to feeling really good from doing the yoga, going outside, eating healthy, drinking lots of water. And so part of it is like, I just like to feel good. And now I feel so comfortable in my own skin that when I go to a holiday gathering, which I don't really do anyways, because I love hanging out at home. But if I do go to a barbecue in the summer or something, um, I, I, I feel comfortable in my own skin. And I also know that I don't have to stay until the end. Like I know the situation where I'm going to actually enjoy myself. Or if it's a situation where everyone is going to be getting really drunk, like I don't need to be there. Um, So I guess I just love my sober life so much. And I have so many sober friends because I've been on this journey for a long time. So I have a huge sober community in Madison, in San Diego. And now that I've been doing this virtually all over the world and the connection that I feel with these women is is amazing. And so like, I don't, and, and I do go to live concerts sometimes. Um, but I pick and choose who I go see. I'm not going to see all the same people that I used to see when I was getting really fucked up on drugs and alcohol. And I don't go that often. I love to do concerts outside. And so, I mean, I've created a life that I love so much and the passion and the purpose and the entrepreneurship actually, which I don't feel like they talk about that much, but I feel like addicts and alcoholics make really good entrepreneurs because there's always something to be doing. And there's kind of like something about like the hustle and grind to it. It really so, is. It, it, it's really it is. Yeah. It's that, it's that hustle of, you know, cause even doing this, right. Like it's not like podcasting pays thousands of dollars. Like I could pull it out. They can make 19 bucks this year. You know what it Like it doesn't make a ton of money. But it's that hustle, though. It's that drive that we have before, except where we have different goals now. We have different things that we're doing it for. For me, it's the more episodes I can get out, the more likely one random person is going to find a story they can resonate with and they can relate to. You know, maybe maybe the story today isn't going to relate to a lot of people, but your story will relate to the people that didn't relate to today's. You know, and that's kind of the point. I've been even trying to, you know, put up episodes, male, female, you know what I mean? Just like this way, different audiences can find different things that they can relate to a lot more often. Um, now, and you said you have a book club, too? Yeah, I. so it's not my own book. I'm not an author yet. No, 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 Travis, yeah. Travis did inspire me. Um, so over the pandemic, I started a free meeting called the Sober Girls Book Club. And we meet on Tuesday nights. I don't know. We're on like our seventh or eighth book. Usually we take about two months, sometimes three months to read the book. And we just read one chapter and then we come to the meeting and discuss it. Um, And it's on Zoom and it's completely free. It's at 530 Pacific Standard Time on Tuesday nights. And we're going to be starting the Sunshine Warm Sober book uh, by Catherine Gray starting in January. And yeah. I'll definitely make sure that, you know, whatever links you, you give me will be in the description. So whether you're listening and you're a woman and you're looking for some support and you'd like to read and you like to read books about sobriety and recovery, then here's a book club for you. You don't have to even leave the house for, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I see you post about stuff like that. That's what, you know, reminded me is I think I saw you post about that book recently, right? That's what it was. Yeah, just today I posted about it. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought, because you know how it is when you're following a bunch of different authors, too. It gets sometimes (laughs) you get, you know, I follow one author. I'm actually interviewing him again. He's been on my show before. Um, He wrote a book called Sober Slogans and Mm. Jeff Vickers. He's a very animated guy and he's coming on after you. And so I see his in my feed all the time. because He's always got something he's trying to promote and put out there. 
And are you doing Travis's new thing with the new authors? Isn't he doing like some kind of mentorship, I believe? I don't know about that. Is he going to mentor some people into writing their own book? Yeah. Um, actually, he has, uh, I think the link should be in his episode. But yeah, he he was talking about it and kind of promoted it on the second episode he did that I released two weeks ago that he was on. So, and that's for like, you know, authors that are looking for some guidance and it's like a free thing where it's no charge and he's donating his time to like help out. But I mean, especially if you already know Travis, you could just probably shoot him a message and he would be more than willing to help because he loves to help everybody whenever he can. That's no wonder why he was a cop. It makes sense that he wants to help as many people as he can. So um, now you said your husband, he kept his sober date? He did, yes. Now, yeah. Now, how was that conversation for you? Because it's always tough, you know, how was that saying to him, like, hey, like, I had a relapse and I'm resetting my clock. Did he know that you were having a relapse? Did he know you were relapsing in your head already? Uh, well, actually, he should have because I had, like, <laughs> it was, our like, close to our year uh, sobriety day and we were on vacation and I was like, what do you think? Should we just, like, get some wine tonight and celebrate and he was like he got so pissed at me i'm like oh okay that's not happening i just I thought kidding. i was figuring with that <laughs> i was kidding i didn't mean it. so um but i wasn't talking to him about like wanting I, no he didn't really realize how much it was going on in my head you know he was pretty taken aback when i had made that suggestion um so so yeah, and, and, then, and that just uh, shows to go. That just goes to show the audience too how much we actually do relapse in our heads when we're not talking about it out loud. Um, it's giving it a chance to take over our mind and talk us into some dumb shit. You know, like our worst enemy is always the way we manipulate ourselves. Like, cause let's be real, all of us are manipulators. All of us. I haven't met or talked to like. I'm talking like 95 episodes in, Emily, and I haven't talked to one person yet that, that told me, oh, I never manipulated anybody. And if they did, I would have called them a liar. <laughs> they would have been manipulating me with their lies. So, you know, like, come on, we're manipulators. And the first person we always manipulate is ourselves when we're trying to relapse and we're trying to talk ourselves into it. You almost want him to co-sign your bullshit. To be like, yeah, 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 I got you. We'll, we'll do it together. And then for him, he was working a program, right? He was working. He's like, no, I'm not. No, what are you, what? You're kidding, right, Emily? Well, you know, he doesn't actually work a program at all. Um, he was prior military, and so he's got, like, this, you know, and that, he, he works out. And he that stays regimented. Connected. Yeah, he's very regimented, but, uh, yeah. So when I did slip up, he was very angry, but I was so mad at myself and so sick that I don't remember him being that upset because previous to that, he had said, if you ever drink again, I'm leaving you. Um, but then I did stack up, you know, that year and a half and we had gotten married and all of that jazz. So um, he didn't threaten, like, leaving me or anything. He he realized. And, you know, like, I, I have three years again, you know. So I hopped back on the train and he knew I would. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't too bad. He wasn't too hard on me. How did you feel what was going to happen to your program when COVID hit and all of a sudden, like, everything was changing with, how you can go to meetings and how everyone was scrambling. And I remember it was a mad scramble of like, oh my God, we can't go in-person meetings. Like, what are we going to do? You know, how did that kind of mindset, of, did it affect you at all? Or were you, because that's also at the same time of you coming up again on another year and a half 
And the last time you had this amount of time, you talked yourself into something, you know what I mean? So like, I have to imagine, like, did you go through any of that kind of turmoil in your head a year and a half later during COVID now? This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. That's a great question. And the answer is no, actually. Like I had said, I really didn't have the desire to drink after the last time. Like it had been lifted. I won't say, like, I won't walk by a wine bar every once in a while and have this thought of, like, oh, that would be nice to, like, sit outside on a patio and drink some wine. But it's such a far-off thought that I'm nowhere close to taking action on it. And I will be completely honest. I don't go to any AA meetings anymore. But I say that I did go to a women's meeting, like, six months ago because I wanted to connect with some more women in the area. And I will go again. I always say, like, going to AA now that I'm actually sober and want to be sober, it's different experience than when you're going and you don't want to be sober. So I don't really have anything against it, but now I'm doing the virtual meetings and I'm connecting with so many sober people without going to the 12 step meetings. But so I wasn't going to 12 step meetings. I would say the worst thing was, is I was like, Oh shit, I can't go to the yoga studio. You know, like I live way out in the middle of nowhere. I got to start practicing yoga at home. And so that was a little bit of a transition, but I was kind of running ragged. So Honestly, COVID, the slowdown was really nice. And then I did get unemployment for a few months, which I had never gotten. And that allowed me money to sign up for this leadership training that I really wanted to do. So I did that. And then I created the vision of the three-month group coaching program. And then I implemented that and started doing the Sober Girls Book Club. And it all just kind of started taking off. Yeah. So I won't say that I didn't have any hard times, but I the leadership program was all virtual and it wasn't supposed to be virtual, but I didn't have time, the money to pay for it before that. And then I paid for it and it was virtual and it showed me how much you can connect on Zoom. It showed me what you can create virtually. Otherwise I would have never came up with a three month group coaching program that's virtual because I would have been like, you can't connect, you know, on the computer like that, but you really can. And I think at this point, most of us are realizing that you can. I'm sure some people are sick of being on Zoom, especially if they have to do that for work all the time. But for me, the whole thing has been, there has been blessings in disguise. And granted, the fact that it's still dragging out really sucks. You know, like, I think we're all ready for it to get back to normal. But, um, and well, the other thing is, I'm so grateful for, and I feel like he's my angel, kind of the fact that I have a husband that doesn't drink, you know what I mean? Like, that's everything. So you know, yeah, the fact that together. it's not in your face on a bad day, the fact that you don't have to like see somebody glorifying it or romanticizing it and you've had a shit day and you're just like and you see somebody crack it open and then give a ah and you're like fuck I want that. You, you, so 
Yeah, that definitely helps. And I can definitely relate, you know, because there's nothing, you know, I didn't mind that my wife drank when we met, you know, and because that's your choice. And when I, you know, went out with drinking again, it had, I wasn't even hanging out with her. It had nothing to do with her. It was me just letting somebody else's resentment in an old group bother me. It was dumb shit. You know, I talked myself into it like we all do. Um, But, you know, then I was like, well, I can drink with you now. And then when I quit, I was so glad. She was like, oh, yeah, I'll quit with you. Because, and then COVID hit two weeks later. And I was like, you know, I'm so glad I don't have to, like, see you drowning in that. Because not that it would make me want it. It would make me want to run away from you. It would make me not want to be around you. You know, I don't, I didn't get sober to then be a babysitter to somebody who's drinking. You know, nobody wants to have to do that when you get sober. We'll play the role sometimes. You know, if we love you, we'll play we'll play the role if we have to. But we don't want to have to hold your hair back if we're not holding getting our hair held back anymore. <laughs> you know, and and yeah, I you know when I first got into recovery almost four years ago, I never would have thought this kind of connection could happen. Tradition's sake alone, you know what I mean? In the rooms and the traditions, you know. But this show is definitely not about any of the fellowships, you know. I I specifically like to seek out people that don't do traditional recovery. You know, not everybody is going to have the same recovery because we all have different things that happen in our addiction. We all drank or used for different reasons. You know, the main thing of it is, yeah, we got high because we had problems and we didn't know how to deal with them. But at the end of the day, we all did different things. We all had different experiences. We all had different experiences that led to it, different upbringings you know, different introductions to the rooms. So, you know, why should we all have the exact same model of what recovery looks like? It's not working that way. You know, we had 100,000 overdoses. We all know the numbers now. Um, Also, 18 to 45, the leading cause of death is now officially fentanyl. It used to be cancer. It used, as of today, it was just released. Um, So by the time this week comes out next week, there more people will probably heard that, but that it came out today. I've seen it posted in nine different groups. I'm in on Facebook. It is now officially the leading cause of death in the United States is fentanyl between 18 and 45, which is absurd. Car accidents. It's ahead of car accidents. Absurd. That makes me angry and sad. There was just a giant fentanyl bust this last week in Arizona. Giant, massive. I don't remember what it was, but something crazy. Not I don't enough. even understand it's, it. I don't. I don't understand the whole thing. Um, yeah. I kind. I. I mean, I do and I don't. At the, you know, I. You know, fed, I got out of opiates. I was really heavy in opiates, right? I was heavy in opiates. You know, roxycodone, thirties, oxycodone, whatever you want to call them, little blue thirties. I was into them from 2008 to 2018. Um, and I'm talking daily. I was functioning, I, you know, high function addict, running a business, doing really well, and all that kind of stuff. Everything looked good on the outside, that on the inside kind of deal. Um, but the thing is, when we're trying to escape every day, and that's the fastest way to escape and the hardest way to escape, I see why they like that, you know, and also because our tolerances. A lot of us, when you're using, especially those kind of opiates, you build a crazy tolerance really quickly to oh. where, you know, you need to fulfill that tolerance and then some if you want to get high. I remember so many times I would say to people, I'm I'm just buying two thirties just to get even. 
you know, I need two, I need 60 milligrams of oxy in me just to be even, just to feel normal like I am right now. You know, that's $60 a day just to feel normal. Let alone if I actually want to get high and escape, you're talking that another six, eight on there. You know, and all of a sudden now there's fentanyl pressed ones. Oh, I only need a half of one and I'm going to feel the same. Is that eight? You know how much money I just saved? Yeah, so, I, I, I'm glad that you explained that. I guess my when I said I don't understand it, it's just because, like, I think it's very general knowledge that fentanyl is killing everybody, like a lot of people. But and that um, it you know what, though? Lot, you know? Some of them want to die. I wanted to die. You know, I was I was knowingly mixing cocaine with my opiates and my Xanax, hoping it would stop my heart at some point. You know, and that's we a lot of us get so broken toward especially, you know, whenever we feel like it's the end, whether it's the end because I can't do this anymore and I just don't know how to get sober. And if no one's gonna help them get sober and give them the confidence that's why I recover so out loud. You know, it's for all of my old friends that that won't stop, that they're so ashamed of what they're doing and asking for help. They're so ashamed to even say I need help because a lot of, you know, men were raised in that time in the 80s and 90s where it's like, be a man. You can't you can't say you need help. You can't say that. Just man up and deal with your fucking shit. And, you know, don't cry and don't don't say that it hurts. Don't say you're in pain. Man up. You know, and a lot of people, you know, that are sober, when they get sober, we we live it so loudly because we want you to feel comfortable to say you need help like we all did. The hardest thing I ever had to do was say I needed help for rehab. And then once I broke that governor, I can ask anybody for help for anything. You know, I feel like I can co-parent today because I'm okay with asking for help. You know, like my wife has MS and it's hard for her to do a lot of things. And there's some days where, you know, we can't, you know, do we have a seven year old we co-parent with her ex. So it'll be a lot on her and I'll be at the office. We run a nonprofit and then I'll contact her ex-husband. Hey, can you do us a favor and grab him from school? Maybe watch him tonight, take him for dinner. You know, she's not feeling well, but it's a lot easier for me to be like, hey, will you help us? You know, because I've already asked the biggest way to ask for help is, you know, I don't know how to live anymore. You know, with these dr- the drugs and the drinking, somebody help me. So now I'm just like, yeah, you can help. Can you help? Can you help? <laughs> you know, and it's a weird thing. People just even my wife, she's been sober for two years and she does work. You know, she does shadow work. She doesn't work the steps. She does shadow work. And to me, any kind of work on yourself where you're introspective is, is a good thing where you're being self-aware. Um, so she does that. But even still, it's hard for her to ask her ex for help. And I'm like, oh, I ask him. I got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> like, you know, I went, this is fine. This is really fine. You know, so that's, I think, the kind of the craze. You know, there was literally a guy from Baltimore. He was in a rehab. Um, he had a near death experience he told me about. And it was because he was ready to die. He was in a rehab. And the counselor came in and he was doing the right thing. He said, hey, everyone be careful. There's bad batch around the corner. There's a lot of people dying because there's one person selling some bad batches. He left rehab, walked right down there and bought three and did all three knowing he could probably die. And he was found in a basement of an abandoned house and they got and they saved his life, you know, but he did have a near death experience where he can recall talking to his mom and he can recall being like five years old and looking at his mom as she was when he was five and who's been dead for years. 
and telling him how he's fucking up and he has a lot bigger of a purpose in life and he needs to get his shit straight. And when he woke up, you know, he, he was literally being zippered up when he woke up. Like, I mean, like, he was being zippered to put into the refrigerator kind of deal. Yeah, I got deal. it. Oh, my God. And the nur- he said the nurse reacted like like this wasn't the first time this had happened. Like, oh, he woke up. We got another. Okay, just take him up. Like, so nonchalantly, like, it happens all the time because of how deep of a thing it knocks you out with. So, you know, for me, I'm glad I got out of it just in time with opiates. Fentanyl press 30s didn't become big until the summer that I stopped. That's when, like, Demi Lovato almost died. Mac Miller died. They were both from fentanyl press 30s. So that that kind of scared me a little bit because I used to go to Demi Lovato's meeting. I used to go to AA in West Hollywood at the West Hollywood Recovery Center, which was her home group. And I remember that Tuesday, everyone was devastated in there because they all know her. And they just lost another guy from that home group that day. So she almost died. And then somebody else did die that day that was a regular there. So everyone was just, you know, and then I came home like two days later and then Mac Miller died like three weeks later and come to find out. Fentanyl press 30. And I'm like, man, if I if I relapse, I could get one of those fentanyl press ones and die. And that kind of always stuck in my head as like a fear of, you know, finally a fear can be driving me for good things and not bad things like it used to. Like, you, why did you move from Madison to California? Because that's like not... <laughs> Um, because I wanted to live by the ocean. I wanted to, okay. to do the California beach thing. Um, that's pretty much it. It was just most, was that, and that was that in addiction though? I had six months of sobriety shortly before I moved. So the decision I think was made in sobriety. And then I was like, I was drinking like the month before I actually moved. So then when I got to California, I was back in addiction. Okay, I was going to say, because Southern California has some amazing sobriety and meetings and recovery. So that's why I wasn't sure if that was had anything to do. But no, it was mostly just to go down and be by the... I mean, I've been to San Diego once. I get it. It's a beautiful city. <laughs> and it's a lot yeah. different from Wisconsin. <laughs> Definitely. And there's a lot of sobriety there, and there's a lot of partying there. And I did some of both. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know, I know there's a lot of partying there. One of... My favorite comedy clubs has a club there at a comedy store in La Jolla. Um, Yeah, La Jolla. Yeah, that's it. Um, But I know that it's a crazy party spot and they have like a separate apartment that they hang out at for that place. And it's from what I heard wild. Um, But thank you so much for, you know, telling your story. I'm going to have all your links like in the description. So if you don't already follow her social medias, you'll be able to. And if you are looking to get into your reader, looking for some support in the sober network. It'll all be right there for you to click right in and follow along. And you're going to be doing a bunch of new books next year. Uh, yeah. Like I said, we do a new book about every two months. And, and you, like, if, if someone's not a reader, they're like, I want a meeting, but I don't really want to read. Um, you can still come and listen in and you don't have to share at all. Or if you hear a share, you might realize what the kind of topic or the theme is, and then you can share from there too. But there is one other thing that I would love to announce to anyone listening, and this is for men or women. Uh, we're doing a January sobriety challenge, and it's free in my Facebook community. 
Um, and so I can drop the, I can give you the link so that the individuals, if anyone wants to join that, um, it's in the Facebook community. There's going to be about a thousand people in there. And I've got guest facilitators that are coming in to talk about nutrition, to guide us through some yoga, to do some movement medita meditation, and then also um, some mindset stuff. And it's going to be really awesome. All the guest facilitators have free prizes and then are free gifts. And then there's free prizes as well. Um, so I'm really excited about that if anyone, and it actually is great for people that have sobriety too, just for a little support momentum and to join a community. So, um, yeah. If yeah, that's really cool. Cause there's a lot of people that are sober curious, right. And they're just not sure of what it would be. And maybe you just want to try a month off and, mm -hmm. you know, and see what it's like. And at the same time, it's, you know, what, what do they call it? Dry January. Is that what like the name is? Um, I don't call it that, but there are, well, they, there's dry July, sober October, sober September. I'm I'm just calling it um, January sobriety challenge. I have yeah. a sober October um, poster on my wall for one of my favorite comedians um, because they do a sober October every year. Um, and there's like four comedians that I love. And every year for October, they challenge each other to go completely sober all October but on top of that, they'll do like a challenge where they do like hot yoga every day and they have right. to do like all these or one year they had to read a certain amount of books and do all these different like challenges throughout the month, too. So I know that's really cool. You're kind of doing something similar to that, like with different things that you're doing throughout the month. So I'll definitely make sure that Facebook group is in there, too, because I know you're on Facebook. Like I said, we found on Instagram um, and oh. the Instagram is happy, sober and free. And yeah, it's happy dot sober dot free. Mm hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Emily. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure and happy holidays. You too. Have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.